Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I'm your host, Colin Cernelia. Go to talent409.com to see how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. On each episode of the pod, we'll bring you conversations with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, driving accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. Have questions for me or a guest? Email Colin, C-O-L-I-N, at talent409.com. And let's chat. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Help us find other dynamic leaders and help dynamic leaders find us. Okay, on to my guest today, who is none other than Kate Waltman. Kate is a former softball player turned CPA and entrepreneur. She played college softball at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York. She was a two-time captain, also went to the Division II College World Series. She is the founder of Step Up Movement in Syracuse, New York, and was also a 2019 award winner of the 40 Under 40 in Syracuse. This is a very special conversation. I personally enjoyed talking with Kate more than just about anyone that I've had here on podcast, and that's saying a lot with the quality of guests that we bring on week after week, but this is a great conversation. Learned a lot from Kate. She tells a lot of great stories, including the resilience and the adversity she overcame in dealing with the death of her father when she was still in college. So let's not waste any more time. Here is my conversation with Kate Waltman. To the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest on the line with me is Kate Waltman. Kate, thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, Colin. Thanks for having me. Really thrilled to be here. We are thrilled to have you and so much to talk about. You are such an impressive person. We talked about that offline. I'm not trying to embarrass you, I promise. But I want to first give you an opportunity before I spoil it all to tell the listening audience about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Thank you for that generous intro. I'll try to live up to that throughout our (laughs) conversation. But um, so yeah, my name is Kate Waltman. I uh, grew up in the Albany, New York area, and I currently live in Syracuse. I'm a CPA. I have a background in accounting, but I think maybe more interestingly, I have a foot in the entrepreneurial world as well. So I'm a co-founder of a nonprofit organization called Step Up Moment. I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to chat a little bit about that uh, later in the conversation. Also co-authoring a book with my brother at the moment uh, about health and well-being. So thrilled to be here and share a little bit about those experiences. So many cool things to talk about, but as I do with most of my guests and yourself included, you have quite an athletic background. So I want to start there for the purpose of our conversation and just talk a little bit about growing up, what type of sports that you played and take us through. I know you played collegiately at Lemoyne, but take us through that point and then we can pick things up from there. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, definitely my athletic background has played a big role in, you know, what I'm doing today, um, you know, with Step Up Moment and my other endeavors. And so it it certainly has been a foundation that I've relied on pretty heavily. Grew up, you know, playing a lot of sports as a kid. My parents did a great job exposing my brother and I to as many sports as possible. So I was on the, the tow rope on the ski slopes. We were playing t-ball and, um, you know, basketball, volleyball. 
I eventually gravitated a bit more towards volleyball, basketball, and softball. When I got to high school, uh, it got to the point where I should, you know, think about narrowing down my sports as travel teams ramp up and time commitments, you know, get a little bit more constrained. So uh, softball it became pretty clear that that was the sport that I was excelling at the most and had probably the best chance at playing um, at the collegiate level. And so um, my junior and senior year in high school, I started to focus a lot more on, on softball and potentially trying to pursue that in college. So when I started the college search, you know, I should have probably been more closely examining the school's accounting programs and other things. <laughs> but the, the first thing that I was interested in, in learning about was the softball team and meeting the coach and things like that. So uh, my decision to attend Lemoyne was more so based on the softball team being a good fit, but they had a great accounting program. So that was certainly a plus too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a bonus and what a lesson for high school kids that are maybe going through that process right now. I definitely know how difficult it is to try and plan your life out for the rest of your time here, especially when you're 16 years old. But if you have an idea of something that you're passionate about and you think might be something that you can see yourself doing, I think finding that fit for the academic side of everything can be just as important as the athletic side. But uh, it looks like obviously you uh, lucked out, I guess, for lack of a better word, with yeah. with your decision <laughs> to end up at Lemoyne. But so take me back into high school when you were going through that recruiting process. What was it like for you in terms of, you mentioned the most important thing for you, and this isn't a right or wrong thing, but I'm just curious as to your process. So you mentioned how important the right fit was for you, for the softball culture, for the team that you were going to play on. How did that impact your recruiting process? Like, what did you have to do in order to determine what was going to be the best fit for you? Yeah, for sure. So I came from, I played um, high school ball at a school called Niskayuna, which is a suburb of Albany. And we were a, a class AA school, so we had a pretty big program and we weren't, you know, the best, but we had a great team dynamic. And so I had a pretty high standard for what I felt a good team, you know, dynamic might look like. And so when I started looking at schools, um, I, I don't know why, but I was gravitating more towards Division Two. I think I just sensed that the balance between academics and athletics was something that, you know, I was going to appreciate. And so I did look at a few Division One schools. I remember looking at uh, Providence in Rhode Island, and I went down for a tryout and took the field with the team and um, just felt a a little bit um, put off by how serious everyone was taking every drill, you know, every ground ball that they were hitting us. If, you know, somebody fumbled or did anything, it was like the vibe just wasn't right. And I looked at a few division two schools after that and found a couple that actually, you know, I thought I might fit in quite well with. But what stuck out about Lemoyne to me was, um, you know, certainly the, the team being girls that I felt like I might be able to fit in well with, but they're also a very successful program. And that was something that I was, I think, subconsciously seeking because I didn't see that at the high school level. And I had never really been a part of a true winning team before. And um, stepped onto the, the team at LeMoyne and, um, you know, certainly not a testament to my playing abilities. It was really all of the, the upperclassmen that had built such a strong program. But we were able to, uh, in my freshman year, win our conference, uh, the Northeast 10. And then we were successful in regionals and ended up hosting and winning our super regional tournament and then getting a, an opportunity to go play in the Division II College World Series, which as a freshman, you know, it's like everything you dream about going on to, to play college sports, you know. So I remember the NCAA chartered a plane for us to fly down to Virginia where the World Series is being held. And I had never been on a plane before. I just, you know, we, all of our family vacations growing up, you know, we took the minivan out and we drove <laughs> to Cape Cod. So this was a big deal for me. And, you know, we just, we all felt like celebrities walking onto the, the tarmac and boarding our private plane and 
giving my parents the opportunity to, to see me play at the highest level was a really great culmination of all those decades of work, you know, throwing ball in the backyard and playing catch and develop, you know, devoting years of travel and, you know, and time to invest in both my brother and I's you know, athletic careers. And so giving them an opportunity to see me play at the highest level like that is, I think, one of my favorite memories about my athletic career. But that was a, just a, a phenomenal start to my athletic career at LeMoyne and, and really just solidified that it was you know, the best fit possible. So I, I definitely lucked out in a lot of ways, but the recruiting process definitely uh, played a role getting to visit a lot of teams and a lot of schools and really thinking hard about the decision too, because it's, you know, it's not something that you should take lightly. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to skimp on that by any means. And so you walk on to the campus at Lemoyne and you've identified this team, as you said, that has had a fair amount of success and um, is, is doing a lot of really great things in terms of softball and on the field success. What was it like as a freshman walking into that clubhouse and having to take form almost and mold yourself to be the type of player that could contribute and continue that winning tradition or that successful tradition, however it was that you looked at it as a team? The upperclassmen on the team definitely set the tone early on. I remember it, it was so important to have members on the team that I looked up to and the juniors and seniors that were on the team at the time, you know, instantly became role models for our freshman class and really set the tone for what it, what it took to compete at the highest level like that, you know, and in, I remember in fall ball, you know, the NCAA doesn't mandate that you practice more than two or three days a week because you're in the off season. But even though coach isn't scheduling practice on those other days, the upperclassmen and the captains took it upon themselves to schedule, you know, morning lifts and, you know, batting cage time, things like that. And you're expected to be there because they knew that that's what it took, you know, in the fall to prepare for a successful spring season. So, um, you know, learning things like that and how to, to really um, craft the type of bonding that was required amongst the team. Um, so later on in my junior year, when I had an opportunity to be a, a captain on the team, I you know, it was really a testament to the way that I was onboarded as a freshman, you know, to be able to step up and um, take some small leadership role on the team in, in my later years, too. Um, it's equal, equally the, the playing ability, you know, as it is a testament to the ability to create a solid team culture and team dynamic that, you know, cultivates success at the highest level like that. So, Awesome. Talk to me, you get to be captain, like you said, towards the end of your softball career. To be named captain, obviously, you have to showcase some type of leadership qualities, attributes, however you want to say it. What were, in your mind, and maybe you were told this by one of your coaches, or maybe your teammates told you that this was a reason why you were elected into a position like this. But in your mind, what do you think were some of the reasons why you were able to take on that leadership role? Well, the first thing I can tell you, which might surprise a lot of people, is that um, it certainly wasn't due to my abilities as a player. I, <laughs> you know, I wasn't a starter, and I think a lot of the times um, people think of captains as the, as the star player, but LeMoyne was different in that they saw leadership as a multi-faceted arm of the team. So we did have, we had uh, three captains that year. So, um, you know, we did have captains that were starters and were excelling on the field. But my role as a captain was a little bit different. You know, I was the player that if somebody, you know, messed up in practice and they got assigned to some individual conditioning, you know, on Saturday morning, I was the player that showed up with them just because I wanted to be there and provide some support. And so like over the years, you know, things like that demonstrated my commitment to the individual players on the team as much as our success on the field. And so I think building the, the team culture was one of my biggest focuses. And so that's um, so where I saw my role fitting in. Um, and it, it's funny, it, it was handed right back to me that same year um, in my junior year when 
um, you know, it was at the peak of your athletic career, your junior, senior year is when, you know, you're really starting to excel and take ownership over the team. And, you know, and unexpectedly, my dad that year was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And uh, it's certainly a, a big blow to our family. And so we were heading into um, our spring season. And in February, I approached my coach and my team and I said, you know, sorry, everyone, I think I... I'm going to have to step down, you know, from the team and spend some more time with family. And and I remember my coach looked at me and she said, um, she goes, well, you know, she said all the right things, you know, we're so sorry to hear about that. But she said, you know, unfortunately I, you know, I, I can't take you off the roster. But then, you know, I'm like looking around at my teammates were on the locker room and I was like, coach, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know if you heard what I said. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she looked around the locker room to get a you know census from the group, and she said, "You can come to as many practices as you're able, or you know, miss as many as you need to." She said, "But I can't take you off the roster. You know, we need you on the team." And so that's when I realized that you know there is more there is more to the role of the the title captain than just being there on the field. So. That's when I, you know, to your point, realized, you know, the gravity of the position. I realized that this was something that I needed to still uphold, even if I wasn't able to make it to every practice. And even if I played in one game that season, you know, I still had a role um, as captain within the team. And I still needed to do as much as I could that year to support the team. And by doing that, I actually was able to get the support that I needed you know, going through such a difficult time with my family. So it was the, you know, the biggest blessing that, you know, I could have hoped for that year is that, you know, my team refusing to let me sign off from the roster, basically. So, so yeah, big testament to the culture of the group. But you know, my, my role as captain certainly wasn't a traditional role that, that you might think. Sure. And before we sign off with the captain talk, I want to help people that for every star athlete, like you mentioned, I think there's many more average to below average athletes out there. And if you equate that to what the business world is like for every high level executive, there's obviously far less of those than there are just average everyday employees. So for you as an individual to be seen by your teammates in a light that they felt comfortable electing you as captain, even though you weren't a starter. Can you talk to us a little bit about the psyching that you had to go through with yourself? Cause I'm sure there was some mental going back and forth in your head. Like, Hey, when things aren't going well, like, should I even show up? Like, should I be supporting the team? Like, why am I not getting my opportunity? Like, those questions are just natural questions that I think all humans will ask themselves when they feel like they're not getting an opportunity to shine. So for you to push those away and to continue to support your team regardless, I think is a really unique attribute. And I'd love to hear what your process was for dealing with that situation because it's it's unique in, in a way because you were elected as a captain, but it's not unique because a lot of us go through that situation. We maybe just don't handle it in the way that you do. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's a really great parallel actually that translates so well into professional space, you know, because the quote unquote leaders by title, like you said, are a small percentage of the individuals that work at a company or, you know, are on a team, the coach, the assistant coach, and the captains, you know, that's a small number of named leaders. But I think what I learned early on, you know, even playing high school ball, was that it's important to shine in the role that you're in and use the current role that you have to demonstrate, you know, the best of your abilities. And so it even, you know, as a freshman on the softball team at Lemoyne, for example, you know, I felt like although I didn't have a title of captain, I knew that in that role I could still be the first one to show up to conditioning or, you know, run that last wind sprint with the girl who's falling behind, you know, even if I felt like I didn't have, you know, the, the power in my legs or, 
you know, um, take a minute to talk to coach after a tough game and just whatever role I was in, although it might have been insignificant on the hierarchy within the team, right, I could still use the, the role that I was in, the platform that I had to try and shine and make self. And that's definitely been an approach that I've taken into you know the professional space as well, even after my athletic career formally, you know, has ended. It's, um, you know, within an organization, you know, you have your, your CEO and your executive team, but, you know, at, at the worker bee level, right, where most of us, you know, certainly start out anyway, um, there are so many opportunities to be a role model and be a leader within your organization. And you never know. I mean, honestly, I have found that in a lot of ways, people below me have almost um, inspired me more than some of the leadership above me. And I, I take that, you know, really seriously. So, and I always take an opportunity to try to let those people know, hey, you really inspired me. You've been a positive role model for me. I, your work ethic you know, I really appreciate it's an emotional intelligence thing. There's so many ways that someone can add value to a team or an organization. And so just getting the, you know, the formal title as captain was, that was great. It was an honor to, you know, to have that title and to, to fill that role. But I felt, I felt like earning that title started day one, you know, my freshman year, just trying to add as much value as I could. You know, in that entry level role that I was in. That all resonates with me. And I think that I want to highlight one really important aspect that you just talked about before we move on and say that whether it's age or whether it's experience level, a true leader, and this is something that a lot of leaders unfortunately forget when they get into a position of influence they're always looking to learn. They're always looking to improve. They're always looking to innovate. And just because you are, so if I'm 30 years old right now, it doesn't mean that I can't be influenced and I can't find inspiration or be mentored or whatever it is by somebody who's younger than I am. It doesn't mean that it has to be somebody 30 or over to be able to help me grow. There are, like you said, a lot of really great people that especially as you get older. I mean, kids these days, they're growing up with so much more knowledge and the technology is advancing, I think, the way that they learn compared to prior generations. And so I think it's just really a great point that you made that it doesn't matter the age, it doesn't matter the experience, you can always learn and you can always be inspired by anyone regardless of all that. So it's important not to put the blinders on maybe to people that are below you for you know, lack of a better phrase, and just take that knowledge and be able to learn and run with it. Absolutely. And to your point, I, I think some of the best leaders actually draw a lot of inspiration from those they're leading, you know, and the smartest leaders look to those people actually to, to drive what they're doing as, sure. a, as a leader at the top. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Never pretend that you're the smartest person in the room because <laughs> there's a lot lot of things that as a leader myself, I don't know. And I'm sure as a leader yourself that you don't know and being able to admit that you aren't the smartest and that you have weaknesses, but you want to work on them. It's just one of those things that I wish more people understood. So I hope that hope that's really driving the point home for people listening to this conversation. <laughs> We're sending the vibes out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Stott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat with Stott offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Everybody goes through adversity in life, and it's one of those things that, again, I really think is a differentiator for people who are successful or happy or however you want to look at it in terms of the overall scope of life. And for you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, adversity is probably 
a little bit more than some of us may experience, especially at that age in our life. And you mentioned your dad was uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness and can't even imagine what that must have been like for you. But can you walk us through just a little bit about that experience and what you took away from it? Yeah, certainly. So first, I think it's just important to say that I truly believe that I'm a better person for all of the challenges that I've faced. And that goes you know, down to the, the smallest challenges, the, the littlest um, aspects of adversity to some of the larger challenges, you know, like losing a parent. And so one of the biggest takeaways that, I, you know, I didn't come across actually until just a few years ago. My, my dad passed away in 2011, but, um, and it's been a, an ongoing growing process and grieving process, but I came across a quote that I now, you know, rely on heavily for inspiration and support. And it says, um, you know, when somewhat we all face adversity and challenges in our lives and, there are two types of people. One set of people uh, face adversity or challenges and they're broken as a result. A broken person is really easy to spot. You know, they're, they're sad. They lose motivation. There's sort of an emptiness about their being. The other kind of people take challenges and adversity and they're broken open. And those people are able to leverage the emotion and the challenge um, into something bigger and greater. And, and they're broken open in the sense that there's a newfound passion for life and exploration and seeking out new challenges because you realize that those are actually the things that those are the differentiators. Those are what make you unique. Those are in the challenges in, that I faced in my life have actually pointed me in the direction of some of my greatest passions. And so my biggest fear is that I may have never come across some of those passions and, and you know, followed the direction that I am taking now if it weren't for uh, some of those experiences. And I certainly wouldn't wish, you know, any level of adversity like that on someone, but, and in a way I do because I am a completely different person because of, you know, losing my dad. And I, my brother and I talk about this often, you know, we, while we can't, change the past you know we can now take this newfound passion that we have for preventing and reversing preventable metabolic disease and working with you know populations of people that are suffering from these types of illnesses and trying to cure chronic disease and poor populations and all these things that have come sort of as a result of, of this adversity and so it's a long-winded way of saying that you know if you're going through any amount of adversity, you know, it could be you just got laid off from your job or someone's ill in your family um, or you yourself have an injury, you know, or something like that. Just remember, don't be broken, you know, become broken open and try and take that as a, as a new light, you know, a direction and a new path and leverage that emotion and passion towards something new and great. Sure. I think that's amazing. I've actually never heard the phrase broken open before, but that is so powerful. And it reminds me, I was having a conversation with a woman that does some student athlete development down here in North Carolina. And she said one of the biggest lessons she learned in life that a lot of people plan for plan A and plan B even, but the ones who are truly successful are the ones who are planning for D E F and beyond. If in to your point, like you don't want to wish anything so negative or so harsh or so bad on people because the world is difficult enough as it is. But those individuals who are tested beyond plan A and plan B and the ones who bounce back from it, those are the people at least that I want to surround myself with because those are the people that show that strength, show that resiliency, they're broken open to your point versus a lot of people either don't ever get out of plan A because if the comfort zone, it's super easy to stay in it. And these days when you can just 
hang out and watch Netflix and drive to work and put your headphones in and not talk to anybody. And you can just shelter yourself from all the hurt and all the hate and, and everything and not put yourself out there. Those folks probably aren't going to contribute anything to the society that we're a part of. And I think that one of my biggest things is Abraham Lincoln once said that you should leave the world in a better place than it was when you got here. And I think that if you don't go through adversity at some level, then it's impossible to really open up like you have and see that there are all these opportunities out there. It's just one of those different differentiators. And it's unfortunate that it has to be like that, but that's just how life is. I feel like awesome, really cool with the broken open. I just love that. And I think that your perspective is obviously a really healthy perspective and has allowed you to do a lot of the things that we're going to walk into now in life after sports. And so one of the directions that you've taken your life is to work a traditional corporate nine to five type job, your CPA. I think I even read that that was one of the promises that you made to your dad before he passed away, that that was a career path that you were going to pursue. So tell us a little bit about where the passion and the drive to do that type of work for a full-time living comes from. You do your homework. I'm impressed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, it's funny. I was kind of a little bit of a geek in school. You know, I loved <laughs> math was like my favorite subject. And so my dad would always help me with my math homework and let me like help him pay the bills and silly things like that. So we just had this like bond over math. And so we were brainstorming, you know, I knew I obviously wanted to play softball in college, but you know, my parents sat me down and said, we need to think about what you're going to major in, you know? So what, what might be a good fit? And, you know, eventually we ended up you know, settling on accounting and it sounded like a, a great way to pursue business, but also, love of math and numbers and um if you can even describe a use the word love to describe that's such a nerdy <laughs> thing but yeah so i you know fell into um accounting at Lemoyne and liked it you know enough and when my dad got sick it became something that i was pursuing just sort of because that's what you do in college yeah i'm playing my sport but i also need to make sure i i get this degree but my the level of urgency, you know, definitely increased when I realized that, you know, I had to say say goodbye to my dad and promise that I would one day, you know, finish this degree and ultimately pass the CPA exam and become a CPA. So it became more than just, you know, kind of checking the box. Okay, next step, you know, graduate and pursue the CPA exam. It was um, a lot more than that for me at that point. So so that was a one of the more proud accomplishments, I think, uh, for me, other than having my dad see me play, you know, college softball, that was huge for us too. But um, yeah, becoming a CPA, you know, has been an experience that's afforded me a lot. You know, running a nonprofit, it's uh, certainly been beneficial in that sense. But also, you know, anything else that I want to pursue entrepreneurially, it, it's such a great um, skill set, and it's something that. I, you know, I enjoy enough to do eight hours a day. You know, I, I certainly don't want to pretend that I have the level of passion for accounting that I do, you know, um, health and wellness and working with the poor and things like that. But, but it is certainly a valuable skill set and um, has meant a lot to me personally for reasons that we just talked about. So, Sure. And I think one of the coolest things about that, that is totally in line with the type of person you are is it may not be the thing that you are most passionate about in life and you're not alone in that. So it's totally cool. But regardless of that, you've gone the extra mile and you wrote a book called the CPA guidebook that can help. I'm sure so many folks that want to get into that industry, pass that exam that you talked about and something that you obviously didn't have to do. Right. But you went the extra mile, you're providing guidance and help. And so I just think that is a really cool aspect. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that book in case we do have any aspiring CPAs that want to learn a little bit more and can use this advice. 
Yeah, for sure. So the the book was neat. I did, you know certainly didn't plan on writing that um, at the time. I was just focusing on you know becoming a CPA as quickly as possible. And I do kind of have this love hate relationship with writing. I it's a <laughs> painstakingly time consuming process for me. Sure. I was that person that if I had a three page paper homework assignment in college. I would just roll my eyes because I knew that was going to take me six hours to do. You know, <laughs> like my friends are like, "Oh, I can bang that out in an hour." You know, I, I'm just not that kind of person. But needless to say, writing a, a book was not something that about the CPA exam in particular was not something that I had um, set out to do initially. But the CPA exam, you know, much like the the bar exam and you know the boards for medical doctors and things like that, it's regarded as one of the more difficult professional exams. And I think there's a lot of unnecessary fear that surrounds it. And it's a, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's a challenge that they see almost as like insurmountable there. You know, when you become an accounting major, you hear all the upperclassmen say, Oh, well, when you start studying for the CPA exam, watch out, you know, it's impossible. <laughs> You're going to fail it. At least everybody fails at each test. At least once there's four exams been hearing all this for years, you know, and I just thought after what I went through with my dad, you know, I, I sort of said to myself, there's nothing, at least, you know, in the immediate future, there's nothing that I'm going to go through that will come close to paralleling this challenge. Oh, the CP exam, bring it on, let's, let's go. So I decided that I wanted to try and finish it in less than a year. That was sort of the timeline that I set for myself. And just to give you some perspective, most people take upwards of like two plus years to, to get it done, factoring in some retakes and things like that. So wow. it was a pretty aggressive plan, but um, but I just wanted it done as soon as possible. And so ended up passing all four parts within eight months and realized that it could actually, more people should know that it can be done quickly and it doesn't have to be this daunting challenge. And so I just identified some of the strategies that I used um, in order to, to get each part done quickly. And, and actually a lot of it had to do with tips that I pulled from, you know, my softball days where, you know, if we needed to stay awake, you know, for class after we had practice in the morning, we would break in between classes, run out and do 10 push-ups or something to wake up, make myself up. And it's things like that that people don't, people don't realize you don't need to pound an energy drink to get through a study session. Anyway, yeah, it's just a, a collection of strategies that can hopefully inspire and, and equip uh, students or young professionals, anyone who's pursuing the, the CPA and got some great feedback about it so far. So I'm happy with the way it turned out and hopefully it's the first of a few more books to come in the future, but with my writing speed, those will take a little while before. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely want to talk about your collaborative book that is coming up, but this is a really good segue into, you mentioned your CPA career, just really preparing you for some of the entrepreneurial journeys that you've had in some of those ventures that you've taken on. I think obviously the biggest one is the step up movement which you found it in 2016. And that brings fitness and a health, healthy lifestyle to some of the poorest communities in the Syracuse area. And for those who aren't familiar, maybe with the upstate New York economy, it's not one that's thriving. It's unfortunately one that has been in decline for quite a long time now. And Syracuse, Rochester, probably even the Albany area have been hit a little bit harder than, say, New York City, which is automatically what people outside of the state of New York think of when you say New York. So it's admirable work, and I'd love to hear more about why specifically you want to do this type of work. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as is the case with most entrepreneurial endeavors, that usually always starts out as uh, creative problem solving to some degree. And so uh, that's definitely the case with the origins of Step Up Moment. And I was in graduate school um, at Lemoyne working on my MBA at the time and volunteering with a few programs here in the Syracuse area that 
worked with the South Side population here in Syracuse, which for those unfamiliar is the poorest community um, here in Syracuse, but it's also ranked sixth in the nation for concentrated poverty, uh, which is not a list you want to be at the top of the charts for. So what concentrated poverty means is that you have a, a geographic area where the majority of people are living below the poverty line. So this is not a community where there's mixed income and mixed socioeconomic status. It's um, a community where the poor are living among the poor. And so there's geographic isolation there and generational poverty as well. And so I um, spent a, a couple of years volunteering and getting to know some of the people that you know were living in this community that I had never interacted with. In my four years of undergraduate, I spent a lot of time on the softball field, as you might imagine, and not a whole lot of time volunteering. So graduate school was an opportunity for me to get off campus and learn a little bit more about the city that I've been living in for the last four or five years. So I started to realize that, you know, there are many, many challenges that fall under the umbrella of poverty, things like unemployment and housing um, and there are many capable organizations that are working to aid you know, individuals in those issues, but there wasn't, at least that I could identify at the time, there wasn't any work being done in the areas of health and well-being. And it became very apparent to me early on that these areas, and this could probably be said for any major city, you know, the areas where there's concentrated poverty, you, know, you don't find a Gold's Gym or a Planet Fitness setting up shop in any of these communities. And so one of the first challenges that I identified, I identified was that this community was lacking access and opportunity to participate in healthy activity. And similarly, corporate America has also realized that communities that are poor don't feel that eating healthy food is something that is affordable for them. And so major chain grocery stores don't come into these poor communities and, and set up a shop because they won't be successful. And so um, in parallel to that, we have a lot of fast food stores and convenience chains that open up um, in these communities. And that's what people are you know, living day to day eating. And so the fitness and the nutrition were the two challenges that stuck out to me the most that I felt that I might be able to start to make a dent in. And uh, it started because one of my buddies, his name is Ron G. He was a couple months sober from a 30-year heroin addiction. He was big in the, the drug circles in the city um, here in Syracuse and in New York. And he was six foot two, strong as an ox, big attitude kind of guy that um, intimidated me at first. I mean, totally scared me shitless when I first met this guy, but became one of my closest, closest friends. And so Ron comes up to me one day, he's like, yo, sis, where are you working out at? I'm like, oh, um, you know, I just, I just go down to the, you know, the gym at school, you know, campus or whatever. And he's like, all right, you think uh, you could take me, me with you sometime <laughs> I was like uh, sure <laughs> you know why not I mean so Ron was making a lot of strides in getting sober and he found that exercise was a way that he could sort of and he describes it as experience a new high he felt like this was something that could replace the high he was getting off drugs and so I really wanted to, to encourage that and so I took a chance and Ron got in the car and we actually brought another friend as well. And so I show up at the, at the athletic center with these two big black guys behind me. <laughs> and I had built enough of, you know, relationships on campus where nobody really like questioned what I was doing. I think people kind of knew what I was up to and um, didn't say anything. And so for a couple of weeks, Greg and Ron came to the gym with me and we worked out and then I drove them back home to the South side and drove back to campus, to my apartment, and then, uh, you know, they said, oh, can I bring my sister, and can I bring so-and-so, and it became quickly unsustainable, so uh, I thought, why don't I try and bring 
the exercise down to you guys and we can do something in the community near you so that more people can come and then I don't have to organize transportation for everyone. And so Step Up really just started as a gathering of friends to do some exercises. And I never thought about it becoming an official nonprofit organization. It just started out as a group of people that got together once a week to do some simple exercises. And in that, one of the biggest lessons to date actually came in the first few weeks of class because I realized very quickly that, you know, all of us who have grown up playing sports and um, training with elite level athletic trainers and learning how to use gym equipment and how to exercise properly, I learned very quickly that the kids and people in this community who weren't afforded the opportunity to play sports growing up had no idea how to do a proper push-up. <laughs> had no idea that when you're doing an air squat, you know, you want the weight on your heels and you want to keep your head up. And, you know, we didn't have any equipment, but even just doing simple bodyweight exercises like that, I, I was reminded very quickly how fortunate I was that I even knew how to exercise. And so I could, you know, go on for a while, but it, it's turned into, you know, much more than a couple group of people coming together and exercising once a week, but it, that's where it started. And, um, yeah, it's been really beautiful to, to watch it grow. Sure. And I think from my perspective, generational poverty is obviously something that is widespread across America. And it's one of those economical issues that I don't know what the true solution is, but one of the reasons that generational poverty exists is because it's the whole cycle of they just don't know any better. So if the generation before you was acting in one way and that's how you grow up, that's how you perceive the world and that's how you, those are the type of things that you strive for and you aim for. If you just don't know, then it's impossible to break that cycle. And it's a really unfortunate aspect of life. So the point of me saying that is I'd love to understand how you as an individual, somebody that doesn't come from that type of cycle or that type of background, how you're able to connect with these folks and build that relationship where they trust you. Because I'd have to imagine that might be one of the more difficult aspects of what you do. Absolutely. So yeah, two things actually that I want to touch on that you just brought up. One being the trust and two being the idea um, of a role model. So it's definitely the case that I don't think anyone um, can just walk into a foreign community and just start a program and have people <laughs> attend and everyone trusts you and it's great. Um, it, it definitely was a couple of years of cultivating these relationships and I think just demonstrating a level of commitment to the community and getting to know people, you know, with no strings attached. And that also gave me the confidence, you know, to pursue starting this program and continuing to get to know the individuals because there's a level of trust that had to build with me too, you know, working with these folks. And so, um, so I think that's definitely true, but you hit on a really um, powerful point, And that is that in, in the case of generational poverty, kids and, and young people, adults alike, will always reach for the highest branch that they see possible. And oftentimes that's, you know, their uncle who is a high school dropout who, you know, works part-time doing this or that. And the power of a positive role model has been the biggest takeaway that has changed my life and I think has changed the lives of the individuals that participate at separate moment because my friends and I, volunteers that we've recruited that come down and participate and exercise, you know, in this community are doing just that. We're, we're there just to make friends and, and serve as sort of a positive role model. And a lot of people that grow up speaking for Syracuse in particular on the Southside community have never met someone who's a lawyer, have, have never known someone who's an accountant, that no one in their family has pursued an advanced degree. They don't see that as an option for them, but 
getting to know me and others that have given a lot of their time to this program, they see a different path now. And they also have someone that can inspire them to reach for more. And even if it's not pursuing, you know, that CPA designation, even if it's just getting them through that last year of, of their GED or, you know, going for that promotion at their job, the role of, you know, an inspirational figure or a positive role model is something that as athletes we've had since day one. We've always had that coach, that role model figure, captains, older players on the team that have been that branch that we were reaching for. And people in generational poverty, they're not afforded an opportunity like that. And so, um, you know, while the fitness is wonderful and the nutrition aspect of our programming is wonderful, the challenge that I didn't see in the beginning was the lack of positive role models and inspiration. And that's been the most transformational aspect of the program thus far. And so um, it's transformed me in more ways than I, we could do a whole episode on <laughs> what I've learned and how the people at Starbuck Moment have changed my life. But it, that's, I know, been the most powerful you know, aspect of the program for the participants as well. So I'm so glad you touched on that. Absolutely. And it's obviously so powerful in so many ways. And you also mentioned how replacing the high of doing drugs and doing some things that can be really destructive in your life and replace it with something positive and something that is going to make you healthier. I mean, it's just an amazing transformation that can happen for the individuals that you interact with. And in a lot of ways, like you said, their transformation will really inspire you too. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier, how experience level, age, whatever it is, like it just really doesn't matter when you want to be inspired. If you're looking in the right places, you can find it. Um, put, that, put that on a poster, put that on a billboard. <laughs> that's, that's the takeaway right there. That's everything. Yes. Yes. Great, great takeaway. And before we get away from health and wellness and wrap up our conversation, I know you mentioned that you are working on a collaborative effort with your brother, another book and, as painstakingly as it may be, I'm sure it's going to be just as good as the first one that came out. But please tell us a little bit about why you're writing this book and who might be able to benefit from it. Absolutely. Yeah, I am uh, equally excited about this book as I was in the early stages of Step Up Moment, you know, excited about getting that off the ground. So, you know, this draws back to, uh, you know, the loss of my dad, my brother and I, were, you know, once we were broken open and could see, you know, a, a new direction and a, had a newfound passion for life and, you know, wanting to help others, we started researching, you know, the basics about um, health and well-being and knowing that, you know, there are a lot of preventable diseases that plague most of Americans today. And so it's been a couple of years, uh, at least, for just us personally, wanting to live the healthiest life that we possibly can. Um, we have this you know, running joke that we want to live to be 100, which we actually take more seriously than people might imagine. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, on a serious note, it started out just for us. We wanted to pull together all the best information about sleep science and nutrition and fitness, supplements, uh, meditation all aspects of well-being to try and lift to 100, but really get the best quality of life for the years that we had left, knowing that your life could be cut short at any moment, you know, like our dad's was. And so that's where it started. But both of us, um, you know, working with Step Up Moment, my brother runs the uh, Schenectady branch of our Step Up Moment program now. And uh, we were working to try and encourage folks to rethink what's possible for their health and for their lives. The same thing was actually happening to us. We didn't realize it at the time, but in getting to know Ron G and the folks that we were working with, we actually started to rethink what could be possible for our mission and our life's work. Um, and so what we've decided to do is marry these stories of inspiration from people like Ron G using exercise as a new high and, Stories that just, I mean, bring tears to my eyes when I think about them and try to write these out. 
marrying those stories with some of the best research and information out there about well-being, everything from fasting to fitness and sleep to supplements. So creating this ultimate guide for optimal health and well-being that's not a textbook, but a collection of truths and stories that will inspire you to rethink what's possible for your life if you prioritize your health and well-being. And so we, like you said, it's definitely been a painstaking process at times, (laughs) but it's been uh, such a a great, great challenge. And um, we're so excited to be moving into the publishing phases. And we can be as optimistic as we want about the timeline for when it'll be released. But I think um, I'm learning that uh, sometimes that formal process can take longer than you might want it to. But we're super excited for for it to finally be be ready to to come out and hopefully inspire some people to, yeah, to rethink what's possible for their lives and and their health and well-being. Yeah, and I think that's such a unique concept to do something, like you said, where it's not going to be this stuffy textbook about this is what you need to do to live your life to a hundred. But like you said, you're going to marry it to actual stories and real aspects that have influenced you in your life. And so many people I know learn better when they hear stories, those are much more impactful to them and they remember everything longer. So for you to be able to blend those together, the facts with those stories, I think is such a unique aspect to the project and to the book that you're putting together with your brother. So I'm definitely excited to see when that comes to fruition and when you start releasing that and we'll update everybody on the pod that is listening to get a release date. Once you finalize that a little bit more, I know that can probably be the, the most frustrating part is just not knowing, but <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Greatly appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we are unfortunately running low on time today. I have enjoyed this conversation so much and taken away a lot of really positive points and highlights and aspects that I really hope others who are listening take away as well. And the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And obviously you're on the show because in my eyes, you're a dynamic leader. And you're also been recognized in that way, both as a captain with your softball team, your 2019 Syracuse 40 under 40 awardee. So you are everything that I talk about on this podcast. And that's the reason why you're on here. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to talk to us about the people that have influenced them in their lives and help them get to this point. So do you have one or two people that you'd like to shout out that are leaders in your life? Oh, wow. Uh, Definitely. Honestly, the first group of people that I'd like to shout out um, is the Step Up Moment crew. And specifically, if you're listening Ranji and Greg, uh, you guys are my brothers and have taught me, uh, you know, what is possible in my life if I bring the right people into my circle and put in the right amount of work. Any situation is, you know, a mountain that you can overcome. And people might look at our friendship as non-traditional and might be confused by it, but it's the one of the most precious friendships that I have ever been afforded, and um, we'll learn more from those two guys than I ever did in a college classroom. And so, leaders come from all walks of life, and those guys have influenced and changed the direction of my life in more ways than not. Um, and the second leader that I'd like to to shout out is my brother Guy. He has been entrepreneur from day one has never looked at a nine to five and gone full steam ahead into pursuing his own entrepreneurial feats and um, was broken open a lot quicker than I was. And so I needed to see that. I started out pretty broken when our dad passed away and uh, it took a while for me to, to translate that into becoming broken open. And um, like I said, he he was broken open a lot quicker than I was. And that gave me the, the firepower to do the same. So if you, I hope 
you might have an opportunity to chat with him on a, on a future pod episode. That would be a conversation <laughs> I would love, love to listen to. So Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like an amazing person to talk to and to get to know. And I think those are three amazing shout outs and a wonderful way to end what's been an amazing conversation. Kate, before I let you go, is there a way that people that want to learn more about step up movement, want to talk the CPA route, just enjoy this conversation and want to reach out to you? How can they get in touch? Yeah, I would love that. I love connecting with new people and, uh, on uh, social media, Instagram is probably the place where I am posting the most updates. Um, so on Instagram, it's just KP Waltman. And from there, um, you'll find links to the CPA guidebook and step up movement as well from there. Awesome. I will throw that into the show notes like I do with all of my guests. We'll get everybody can easy access that right from this episode's show notes. But Kate, this has been an awesome conversation. Just really have enjoyed it. I wish we had a little bit more time to keep going, but maybe in the future we can do another one of these and catch up a little bit. But thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, it's been an absolute blast, Colin. Thank you. This was so much fun. And that wraps up my conversation with Kate Waltman. Thank you again to her for hopping on the podcast and just, wow, what an amazing conversation, just an awesome person and doing so many great things. It's no wonder that she's being recognized and being awarded for all of her efforts. So can't wait to follow along with her in the future. And I hope that you check out some of the things that she's doing, especially if you are in the Syracuse, New York area. Shout out to my sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com and figure out what she can do today for your fitness future tomorrow. Feel free to leave us a rating and review now that the episode is over. We are back next week on Monday, so no podcast Thursday this week, but we are back next week with a special guest, 